You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So sometimes as a parent, there's this moment every now and then when you find yourself saying things to your kids that your parents used to say to you. I don't know if, if uh, the parents in the room uh, know what I'm talking about, but there's, there's every now and then I find myself saying to, to our kids, I'm not asking, I'm telling. Anybody ever heard that before? So, okay, good. So um, that's something that my mom used to say to me. She would, she would give my brother and sister instructions or something. And if I'd say, you know, no thanks, if I tried to opt out, she would let me know, hey, Jonathan, I'm not asking, I'm telling. And I used to think as a kid that this was original to my mom. Like this was just this like zinger quote that she had. And, and I've learned though that uh, this, it, just, it just makes sense to say this sometimes. Sometimes you need to clarify what exactly is being said. Is this a directive or is it a question? Are we asking? Or are we telling? It's important to know the difference. It's especially important in Exodus chapter five. Now, in just a couple of chapters in the book of Exodus, we're going to see the plagues. God is going to rescue Israel by causing 10 different plagues to come upon Egypt. And the plagues in the book of Exodus are really, the, it's, it's the, the glamor of this book. Like Pastor Joe said last week, the plagues are the fireworks, okay? They're gonna be amazing signs and wonders. They're, they're going uh, to show us the power and sovereignty of God. But it's important for us to remember that the plagues are a precise response to a certain situation. And that situation is really a problem that we see in Exodus chapter five. Exodus chapter five actually starts with a problem and then ends with a problem. And for the sermon tonight, I basically just want to show you these two problems in context, okay? So here's, here's the plan for us tonight. We're just gonna walk through the story here in chapter five. We're gonna see the problems as they emerge in the passage. And it's all going to sort of set the stage for us and what's to come in the book. When it comes to the story here in chapter five, there are basically two parts that we're gonna look at. Part one right here is Moses speaks to Pharaoh. Part two right here is that Pharaoh attempts to rival Yahweh. Part one, part two, we're gonna walk through both of these parts and there are some lessons for us along the way, but let's pray again and, and we'll get started. Our Father, we believe that the unfolding of your word gives light and we need light. We need to see reality as you've made it. And so we ask that tonight by the power of your spirit, help us to see in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so what is going on here in Exodus chapter five? All right, this is part one, Moses speaks to Pharaoh. 
Now, verse one begins by telling us that Moses is doing what Yahweh has told him to do. Back in chapter three, remember, Yahweh calls and commissions Moses to go to the elders of Israel and to tell the elders that Yahweh has seen their affliction and he is bringing deliverance. Yahweh will bring Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. So Moses is supposed to report that to the elders of Israel first and then together they're supposed to all go to Pharaoh and let Pharaoh know. And of course, in chapter four, which we saw last week, Moses is, is very reluctant to do this. And so Yahweh gives him three signs for support and he gives him his brother Aaron as a sidekick. And so by the end of chapter four, Moses and Aaron have gone to the elders of Israel, like God said, and the elders of Israel are on board. They're gonna go along with this, like we hoped they would. And so then what's the next step as we get into chapter five here? The next step is that Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron have to go to Pharaoh, which is what we see in chapter five, verse one. Now notice Moses and Aaron make two different statements to Pharaoh, one in verse one and then the other in verse three. And these two different statements both get different responses. Okay, so first look at the first statement in chapter five, verse one. All right, chapter five, verse one, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Is he asking or telling? He's telling, right? Yahweh is telling, we can read it plain as day here. Yahweh, Moses is speaking on behalf of Yahweh and he follows this prophetic formula we see all throughout scripture. Thus says the Lord. That means that God is the one who is speaking. The Lord is speaking. This is a directive. God isn't asking, God is telling. Now look at verse three. Chapter five, verse three. After Moses gives Yahweh's directive to Pharaoh in verse one, the next time Moses speaks to Pharaoh is in verse three. Verse three, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us or happened upon us is what the word, the idea of the word has. The, the God of the Hebrews has happened upon us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Is he asking or telling? He's asking this time. He's asking here. Moses actually goes a very different direction in verse three from what he does in verse one. Both statements are to Pharaoh, but they're, they're very different. Let's just look, look at how different they are. First, categorically, verse one, is a directive, and verse three is a question. First, in verse one, Moses is telling, and then second, in verse three, Moses is asking. Second in verse one, Moses is speaking on behalf of Yahweh. He, he starts, Moses starts by saying, thus says Yahweh. But then in verse three, Moses himself is asking Pharaoh about Yahweh. Except third, notice that in verse three, Moses doesn't call him Yahweh at first. In verse one, Moses introduces the directive with God's name, Yahweh, the God of Israel. 
But then here in verse three, Moses starts the question with the God of the Hebrews. Fourth, in verse one, Moses calls the people Israel and my people. In verse three, Moses says the Hebrews. Fifth, in verse one, there's no timetable. It's just, let us go feast. But in verse three, it's a three days journey and the request is to sacrifice. Sixth, in verse one, there's no threat of punishment. Yahweh just wants to feast with his people. But in verse three, there is the threat of pestilence and violence if the Hebrews don't go sacrifice. Okay, so verse one and verse three are very different statements. We can see that, right? We see that. Verse one and verse three are very different statements. And so the question is, why does Moses do this? What is Moses doing here? Why, why does Moses say it two different ways in verse one and then in verse three? That's the question, okay? I think there are two reasons. Now, in one sense, Moses could have just walked away here after verse one. He has basically done what Yahweh told him to do. He spoke to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh didn't listen. So, all right, I'm gonna go back to Midian. Moses could have done that here. And who would blame him if he does that, right? I mean, he, he tried, didn't work, back to being a shepherd. Moses could have done that here, but he doesn't. The other day I was... Um, I've been talking about, I've been thinking about Tom Hanks lately, okay? I was, um, I, was, I was texting with Mike Polly and I sent him this gif of Forrest Gump running. And I just, it got me thinking about and appreciating Tom Hanks because the guy's amazing. And just think about all the different characters that Tom Hanks has played. Like think about all the movies that Tom Hanks has been in. Okay. Or th think about Apollo 13 for a minute, okay? Let's just think about that one. Do you guys remember Apollo 13, 1995? That's a good year, right? You guys remember Apollo 13? So Apollo 13, remember Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon are stuck in outer space. And there's this team of men in the mission control room in Houston. And they're all smoking cigarettes because it's 1970. And they're trying to bring back these two astronauts or these three astronauts from outer space. And they realize there's this one scene they are all in, in the mission control center. And they realize that this is basically impossible. There's just this whole room of genius men. And they realize they can't do it because they don't have enough battery life. They don't have enough battery life to bring enough oxygen to bring everyone back. And so the head guy in the room, the chief guy, go back and, and Google this on YouTube. Watch this scene. This is a good scene. He, the chief guy, you know, they say, we can't do it. It's impossible. And then the chief guy in the room, he says, gentlemen, that's not acceptable. And when he says that, all these guys, you know, and they're, and they're white, you know, got their white short sleeve shirts on their ties. They all kind of throw their hands up. There's this big commotion. And they say, ah, oh, you know, we can't, it's, we tried. It's impossible. We tried, we tried. And then the chief guy comes back and he says, failure is not an option. And I wonder if that's what Moses felt here in Exodus 5. 
Like Moses has been confronted by Yahweh. He has been commissioned by Yahweh. Yahweh has heard his people in their affliction. And after all this time, he is finally going to bring his people out of Egypt. Moses can't walk away now. Like it doesn't matter that Pharaoh doesn't know who Yahweh is. Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. And I wonder, I wish that we as Christians felt that way a little more. Like what if, like, what if we felt more like that when it comes to sharing the gospel? Like I think a lot of times um, we can be super reluctant to have spiritual conversations. And then finally, when we do have spiritual conversations and it gets rejected or it doesn't go the way that we hoped, we sort of just say, well, I tried. Or maybe when we pray, there'll be, there's something that we're praying about. We'll pray about it two or three times. We'll ask the Lord for something two or three times. And after you know two or three times, if God doesn't answer, we just say, well, I tried. How many good things are there in our lives? Good things in our lives that we're open to, things that we consider, but things that only get one try. We do just enough. We do just enough to be able to say, well, I tried. Moses could have said that here. How often do we say that, church? Here's the thing. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are made alive in Jesus. We are called by Jesus to be his witnesses in this world. What if we stopped saying, well, I tried, and we started thinking failure is not an option. Like I'm not leaving after verse one. I'm not. I'm not leaving after verse one. Have that next conversation with your neighbor. Invite those people over to dinner again. Fast and pray and knock on that door every day. Don't act like everything we touch must turn to gold. It's okay if it's not easy, okay? It's okay if it's not easy. Jesus is coming back here. Jesus is coming back to this earth and there are millions of people in this world, in our city, who do not know him. Failure is not an option. It's just not an option. I, I think that's a little bit of what's going on here with Moses in chapter five. It, it's, it's part of the reason why Moses doesn't leave after verse one. There's also a bigger reason we, we see this in verse two. I think this is the biggest reason why Moses sticks around. Look, look what Pharaoh says in verse two. After Moses says what he says, this first statement, thus says Yahweh, Pharaoh replies to Moses in verse two, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and moreover, I will not let Israel go. How many of you have been to a nightclub before? Good. Don't judge these people if they're raising their hands, okay? Thank you. We all know, you, you, if you've not been to a nightclub, you know what it is. You, you know what a bouncer is, right? You've seen this in the movies. If you've not met one in real life or if you not once were one, we have some at our church who used to be bouncers, I think. Um, 
you at least know what I'm talking about, what a bounce race. Okay, you've seen this in the movies. Imagine there's this like exclusive party and uh, there's a, you know, a bouncer at the door. There's a long line of people lining up to get in the party. The bouncer's at the door. He's got this list with everyone's name, the guest list. He's got everyone's name on the list. And so people are stepping up to this bouncer and he's looking for their, they, they say their name. He looks for their name. If their name is on the list, they get in. I say they're good to go, right? I, I think something like that is happening here in Exodus 5. Moses has an audience with Pharaoh, which is probably not uncommon. In verse 15, verse 15, we read that the foreman of Israel also had an audience with Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh, as you could probably imagine as a king, people are approaching him all day long. Like he's the ruler of the land. He's the guy you wanna talk to. And so people are probably all, uh, several people probably wanna talk to Pharaoh every day. And we're here in chapter five, Moses gets to talk to Pharaoh. He stood in line, he's given the time he's waited his turn and now Moses is speaking to Pharaoh and when Moses speaks to Pharaoh he's speaking to Pharaoh on behalf of Yahweh but when when Moses mentions Yahweh Pharaoh gets confused and see Pharaoh he's got this bouncer by his side and when Moses mentions Yahweh he looks over to his bouncer and he says Yahweh do, do you know of any Yahweh And the bouncer's got this list, and he's got this long list, and it's a list of all the different gods and deities in Egypt, because there were a lot, remember? He's got this long list of all these different gods and and, and deities in Egypt, and he looks through the list, looks through the list, and he says, nope, nope, no Yahweh. And then Pharaoh looks to Moses, and Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't, I don't know a Yahweh. In other words, Pharaoh knows that Moses has brought a directive from Yahweh. Pharaoh knows that Yahweh is not asking, he's telling. But because Pharaoh doesn't know who Yahweh is, Pharaoh doesn't care. Pharaoh says in verse two, I do not know Yahweh and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And this is a problem. This is the first problem we see in the passage. And it's a big problem. Pharaoh does not know Yahweh. And this is so important in the story that all the events that followed this verse, all the plagues, everything in this book, they are all meant to fix this problem. The problem of Pharaoh not knowing Yahweh is going to be solved. You could even say, I think, that the entire Exodus is meant to be an educational process for Pharaoh. The goal is not just that Israel be set free, but it's that Yahweh be made known, starting for Pharaoh and then for everybody else. And we start to see this. You can see this over and over again in the book. Like as you're reading through the book of Exodus, take your highlighter and just highlight every time you see language like, and you shall know, or that you shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. It shows up over and over again. For example, chapter six, verse seven, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. Chapter seven, verse five, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. 
7 verse 17, that you shall know that I am Yahweh. 8 verse 10, that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. 8 verse 22, that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. 9 verse, 12, verse 14, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. 9 verse 16, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 9 verse 29, so that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. Chapter 10 verse 2, that you may know that I am Yahweh. 14 verse 4, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. 14 verse 18, again, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Anybody got an idea why God's doing all this? It's super clear in the text. It is so that he be known. That's the whole point. The whole point of the Exodus, the whole point of everything, I mean everything, like all of this, everything, the whole universe, the point of it all is so that the glory of God be seen. The purpose is so that Yahweh be known for who he is. But see, Pharaoh doesn't know him yet. That's the bigger reason behind what Moses is doing in verse three. That's the bigger reason. Remember, instead of walking away after verse one, instead of Moses leaving when he encounters the problem, Moses just takes a different approach in what he says. In verse three, Moses decides to speak in categories that Pharaoh can understand. In verse three, Moses doesn't, he doesn't start with God's name Yahweh, but instead he says the God of the Hebrews. And now the word God, the Hebrew word Elohim, it's the more generic word for deity in the Bible. That's why sometimes in the Bible, you'll, you'll see little g gods used throughout, especially in, in the Psalms. It's the more generic word for, for, for little g God, divine power. The word has the sense of divine power or deity. And, and that is something that Pharaoh has categories for. Remember, Egypt has a lot of little g-gods. And each of those little g-gods have their own domain of control, right? There's the, the god of the sun, there's the god of the river, there's the god of the rain. That's how Pharaoh thinks. But see, he's got no category for there being only one God, the most high God who created everything and who is sovereign over everything. Pharaoh just knows about all the different Elohim. And so in Moses' second statement here in verse three, he says, the Elohim of the Hebrews. That's the change between verse one and verse three. Moses goes from saying, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, to just saying, the God of the Hebrews. Can you track with that, Pharaoh? Can you track with that? And yeah, Pharaoh can track with that. Okay, good, good, Pharaoh. Well, this, this God of the Hebrews, Pharaoh's tracking, this God of the Hebrews, this God wants us to get away for a few days and sacrifice to him. And, and if we don't, he might punish us with pestilence and sword. Okay, okay, Pharaoh gets that too. See, it's not just that Pharaoh didn't know Yahweh and didn't have a category for Yahweh, but he also didn't have a clue what it means that Yahweh, the God of Israel, wanted to feast with his people. 
When it comes to how Pharaoh thinks about the gods, remember the gods that he knows, they just wanna be appeased. When it comes to the gods that Pharaoh knows, if you want their blessing, you better pay your dues. For Pharaoh, the gods don't want a relationship. They just want your allegiance. And here's this Yahweh in verse one, and he calls Israel his people, and he wants to hold a feast in the wilderness. A feast in the wilderness. You could technically call that a wild party, right? Yahweh wants to celebrate with his people. Yahweh wants to celebrate with his people and Pharaoh doesn't have a clue for what that means. That's why Moses says it's so different in verse three. Moses says to Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews wants us to sacrifice to him or else. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh thinks, oh, you need to sacrifice to your God so that he doesn't punish you. See, Pharaoh understands that. Pharaoh gets that. These are categories that Pharaoh can work with. That's what Moses is doing in verse three. Moses is trying to start with categories that Pharaoh can understand because the reality that there's a most high God named Yahweh who has his own people and he wants to rejoice with them, Pharaoh doesn't get that. That makes no sense to Pharaoh. And it might not make sense to you. Like if we're honest, I think a lot of times we can be like Pharaoh in the categories that we have for God. Think about this. We can, we can think really, ultimately, we can think that God just wants to impose his power on us. We can think that really ultimately God is just one big invisible bully in the sky that we better not upset. Some of you think that. I know because I used to think that. See, I grew, I grew up in church. I was taught the Bible since I was a little kid, but over time, without, without even meaning to, I basically thought that the only thing God wanted from me was not to make him mad. Like I understood that God was my father, but it was one of those like, you better not make dad angry sort of things. And so you, you tiptoe around him and you try to do more good than bad. And before long, you're not living by faith at all, but you're just trying to earn every bit of the love you wish you could feel. I used to be a self-righteous hustler. You give lip service to grace. You, you talk about grace. You give lip service to grace, but really you believe in salvation by works. Heaven is your wage. And so a feast with Yahweh makes no sense to you. Pharaoh was not ready for verse one. And I'm not sure if we are. It's who Yahweh is. This is definitely where we're headed. Verse one is telling us like it is. I am Yahweh. Israel is my people and we're going to feast. 
We're going to party. We're going to celebrate together. That's the goal of it all. Like that's the goal of everything. But we've got some learning to do. There's an educational process that needs to happen for Pharaoh and for us. And verse three is what puts that educational process in motion. And look how Pharaoh responds. All right, this is part two. Pharaoh attempts to rival Yahweh. Look at how Pharaoh responds. I think the best indication that, that, uh, that Pharaoh is tracking with Moses is what Pharaoh says in verse four. He asked Moses and Aaron why they are distracting the people from their work and he decides to increase their workload. See, Pharaoh thinks the, the people of Israel are idle. He thinks they have too much time on their hands. And so if the Hebrews have more work to do, then they wouldn't have time to think about their God. So at one level, this is a time management issue. Pharaoh is just trying to busy their time. It's more than that though, because Pharaoh wants to take the time that they've been given to Yahweh and he wants to have it for himself. Not only that, but look at verse 10 for a minute. Verse 10, Pharaoh's taskmaster comes to the people and says, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Now, that's the same wording that we see in verse one. Thus says Yahweh. The taskmasters here are playing like Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh and spoke for Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh. Here the taskmasters went to the people and spoke for Pharaoh. Thus says Pharaoh. The taskmasters are playing like Moses because Pharaoh is playing like God. Pharaoh here is putting himself forward as Yahweh's rival. Oh, oh, so this God of the Hebrews has been taking your time away from me. You're afraid that he might punish you if you don't sacrifice to him. I'll show you what to be afraid of, no straw. No straw. You, you see that, Israel? You see how easy that was? You see the power I have? No straw, same number of bricks. I'll show you, Israel, who to be afraid of. That's what's happening here. Pharaoh is attempting to rival Yahweh and the people of Israel are dejected. They, they petition Pharaoh. They, they try to get him to change his mind, but he doesn't. And by the end of chapter five, things are worse for the people of Israel than they have ever been. There's a parallel here. Pastor Joe mentioned last week, there's a parallel here to chapter one. Only now it's just more confusing. Look at verse 22. Then Moses turned to Yahweh and said, oh, Yahweh, why have you done this evil to the people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. See, things have worsened and there's still no help. Things have worsened and there's still no help. That's the second problem in the passage. Things have worsened and there's still no help. And Moses asked a really good question here. What's the point, Yahweh? 
you told me your name. You, you told me you were going to rescue us, but things have only gotten worse and you haven't helped us at all. Is Moses angry here or is he frustrated? That's a trick question. It's, it's the same thing. Anger and frustration are the same thing. Frustration is what we call it when we're too embarrassed to admit it's anger. And in, in verse 23, Moses is angry. He's angry because this is not panning out the way he thought it would. This is not going how he thought it would go. It would have been better. He's, you know, he's thinking this. It would have been better. It would have been better for everybody if I just stayed in Midian. What are you doing, Yahweh? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been? I'm not talking about disappointment. I mean, have you ever been at the place where you're angry because God feels absent? It's, it's the feeling that, that God draws us into something and then he leaves. Things get worse and there's still no help. That's the second problem here in the passage. Chapter five has two problems. Starts with a problem, ends with a problem. The first problem is that Pharaoh does not know Yahweh. The second problem is that Israel's slavery gets worse and there's no help from Yahweh. These are two problems and they're both gonna be solved. In fact, this is gonna be a kill two problems with one stone sort of thing because Yahweh is going to make himself known to Pharaoh by rescuing his people from slavery. This is the, the brilliance of God. He will make himself known by rescuing his people. God tends to make himself known most clearly when his absence is felt most severely. And in chapter five, all this is just setting the stage for what's to come. And we see, we see this again in the Bible. Can you imagine what the disciples felt like on Good Friday? Like around this time in the day? Like they've been following this man, Jesus, for three years. They left everything to follow Jesus because he said he was the Messiah. He said he was going to rescue his people, but they saw him die. They saw him crucified. Can you imagine what they felt? I think it takes us back to an earlier conversation that Jesus had just before he was crucified. Jesus is speaking in John 18. Jesus is speaking with Pilate and Pilate was the ruler of the land. And Pilate asked Jesus, he says, are you really a king? And in John 18, verse 37, Jesus says, yeah, I'm a king. And for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Is he asking or telling? Pharaoh says back to, I mean, Pilate says back to Jesus, 
what is truth? You guys remember this in John 18? Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? Pilate doesn't get it. And it doesn't matter because Jesus is telling. I am here to make God known. I am here to reveal the truth of who God is. I am here to show Yahweh. Yahweh is the Holy One who saves by grace and he wants to feast with his people. And that's what this table is about. Each week, as we come to this table, we are coming to a feast of grace. This table is about fellowship. Yahweh invites us into his joy. That's why Jesus died for us. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the shed blood of Jesus, both broken and shed for you to know God and to have fellowship with God. Jesus died for you so that you would know God and feast with God. And so tonight, if you trust in Jesus, tonight, if you are united to Jesus by faith, we invite you, come eat and drink with us. We're gonna serve the bread first. His body is the true bread. Mm -hmm.